Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. In 20 minutes, we will break down the 49ers and Seahawks from the NFC West. OutKick 360 rolls on across the OutKick network. Big headline, non-football related. Kevin Durant is apparently coming to terms with the fact he's going to stay in Brooklyn after all this. They met on the West Coast, I believe. In L.A. With uh, team ownership, head Steve coach Nash. Steve Nash and Durant, and they've agreed to continue playing basketball in Brooklyn together. I did not expect that outcome. I'll be honest. What would have been an amazing outcome if Steve Nash just went full DX and just said, you know, if you don't let me be in the coach here, I got two words for you. <laughs> and just shows up to LA to do that and yeah. then gives him the, the symbol. Um, yeah, it's a weird story that all of this, he, he flies to, where did they meet with the owner originally in London? I think Maybe that, it was out of country. Yeah, I think that's right. And he has this Somewhere sit down Europe. with the owner and it went well. We're, we're still... We want to be traded as long as the GM and the head coach are here. You've got reports of the Memphis Grizzlies getting involved in a possible trade yesterday. Which would be insane. It took one sit-down with the coach, GM, owner, and now I'm, I'm good. I'm going to play out this amazing contract I signed with Brooklyn Chad, for tons of money. I'll go ahead and do that for you guys since you flew out to L.A. to meet with me. This, this is where I am extremely hypocritical, and I'm raising my right hand to admit it because I'm, I'm anti-Kevin Durant and all the antics that he pulls where he needs to be loved. Kevin Durant needs to feel the love and hear the love and be recruited constantly. Um, We've seen it since the movement with Oklahoma City. But when the report came out that Memphis could be involved, I immediately thought, I I love this. (laughs) I hope Memphis shows him the love. Because Kevin Durant there instantly takes them from just a a great storyline trying to make the Western Conference final to... They are a true championship contender with Durant and John Morant. That would have been fun to watch. So I, I admit, like his addition to any team instantly makes them a contender. But there's no reason why they can't be a contender in Brooklyn and why you can't be happy in Brooklyn. Where, what, two years ago, three years ago, you sign off on Steve Nash as your coach, two years ago. And now all of a sudden he's the problem. I, I just I don't buy that angle. I, I, of it. I'm for whatever makes things more interesting, but I think the situation in Brooklyn is very interesting. I mean, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Brooklyn—you're in the biggest city right. in the U.S. Right. I mean, what is what's not to like about the drama with that? With Steve Nash, a very recognizable basketball name as the head coach. Well, there, there are That's many, an interesting situation. Even so, during the season, though, people were saying he's not the greatest coach. No. But Durant is the reason why he's there. But, I mean, how many coaches I know. are truly elevating these NBA I, teams? I'm with you. Outside no, of I maybe agree. three or four. I agree. I put, you know, Greg Popovich, Eric Spolstra. Um, you know, how many are on that list of coaches not that many. elevate you know, who they have? Other than just getting along with, um, 
with, with the with the players. I'm watching this legacy documentary on Hulu about the Lakers. Highly recommend, by the way. It's way better than the one on Apple that's that's Magic Johnson directed. Magic's a big part of it, but it's uh, directed by Antoine Fuqua, who's a big time Hollywood director. But it's a multi episode. Basically, when Jerry Buss buys the team forward. Mm-hmm. So from 1979 on. But, I mean, a lot of what they're dealing with in 1982 with the Lakers is, which I didn't know about, Magic Johnson demanding to be traded or they fire the coach at the time, Paul Westhead. Well, guess what happened? Guess who won? Coach gets fired midseason. Yeah. They have Magic Johnson on a 25-year, $25 million contract, which $1 million a year for Magic Johnson at the time was unheard of. But my point being, when Pat Riley joined that team, Pat Riley is on camera joking about it. He's like, what does a coach in the NBA do? He's the guy who stands up and he puts his hands in the air and he yells the refs. He says, five up, one down, whatever. So I'm the one doing all this, trying to look like an NBA head coach. And Magic Johnson comes to me and says, coach, sit down for a little bit. We got this. We got this on the court. We know how to play this offense. We'll, we'll be just fine. That's sort of the way I view coaching in the NBA. Me too. There, I mean, there's a handful of coaches. Keep your guys that, happy. That move the needle, and then the rest of it is just ego massage. You know, and that's that's what this is. I don't blame Durant for voicing his opinion if what you signed up for and what you recommended isn't working. But demanding out just because things aren't going well isn't always the solution when you can win where you are based on additions. And maybe in this case, it's addition by subtraction, but it doesn't mean you have to be the one that's out in order to get it done. And it's always this. Got to feel the love mentality. And people do. I mean, a number of organizations are trying to trade for him. It's also... It's going to be a high price to do it. I mean, look, this is is in the past if they go on and win a championship. But this story's never going to leave. The moment they have a little losing streak, the moment he looks unhappy on the court and people read into body language, now that this is out there that he's, you know, was demanding this trade and this was the off-season drama... This is a story that's not going to leave Brooklyn. Well, I'm interested now to find out what demands are going to be met by Steve Nash because he was in this meeting. He's the one that they wanted out. So the fact that they're running it, running it back is a bad way to describe this, but the fact that he's returning based on reports and it seems like Nash is also returning, what, what will be things that Durant wanted changed and what he demanded versus what he agreed to ultimately? And... It, Clearly, not every demand was granted because he wanted out. He probably owns part of the team now or something. Maybe. We'll find out later. A couple of NFL headlines just to pass along, and then we're going to jump into the Tennessee Vols and USC Trojans and uh, a transfer that's not happening yet. Bengals safety uh, Jesse Bates, excuse me, uh, he has ended his holdout. He is reporting to camp. He is signing his franchise tender. He's back. He's playing. And... Another example of trying to hold out to get a long-term deal. The Bengals did not give him that. He's signing the franchise tender, which is fully guaranteed, and he will play this year. Uh, Bad news in Washington. Chase Young, who tore his ACL, this was against Green Bay, and I want to say it was around week 11, week 12, week 13, somewhere in there last year, November-ish. Um, he has been placed on the reserve, physically unable to perform list. He has been there, but now that's for the regular season. This means he does not count towards the active roster whenever the final cutdown is made after September 1st going into week one. Um, he will, mandatory, if you're on the PUP list to begin the season, you have to miss the, four, the first month, the first four games 
of the regular season. So we will not see Chase Young in Washington on that defense until at the earliest October. The Cowboys, they have not placed wide receiver Michael Gallup. I'll get it right in a moment. Gallup is, is currently on the preseason PUP, not on the regular season PUP list. He's coming off a knee injury that was right at the end of the regular season last year. He still at least has the option, um, and they have another week to determine this, uh, has the option to be a week one guy, and they have not lost hope on that yet. And J.C. Jackson, the former Patriots cornerback, big money player in Los Angeles for the Chargers, he had ankle surgery, and he's going to be out at least a month or so for the Chargers. The good news for L.A. and their defense, they have Asante Samuel Jr. They have Bryce Callahan, who I believe mainly is a nickel but he's also playing the corner position. They have a veteran backup in Michael Davis, who's been in the league now six or seven years. They have Trayvon Campbell as a backup corner as well. But at safety, they have a great tandem in Derwin James and Nasir Adderley. Of course, they have Khalil Mack up front. They have Abosa. They have Joey Bosa on their defense. They'll be able to weather the storm, but when J.C. Jackson gets back, that's a defense for fantasy players out there, I would want to buy in on. We, talk, um, we talked about Josh Palmer yesterday with the Chargers, Hutton. I went back and watched uh, some highlights of him in the yeah. preseason game. <clears throat> Impressive. The one touchdown run on the screen pass where yeah. he just bullied three guys into the end yeah. zone at the end of it was something else. Um, another note, Lions rookie wide receiver, Jamison Williams, we're not expecting him to be ready for the regular season opener. He's not. Um, he hey, was, Hard Knocks tonight. And I am oh. all in on Hard Knocks on HBO. We're going to talk about another HBO is he show. On that, is he on that show not, so far? Not yet. Episode three tonight. I think he'll probably appear there. Uh, we're going to talk about another small little HBO show and a feat that it, it reached on from Sunday night later in the show. But um, I will be watching Hard Knocks tonight. I'll have a full report tomorrow. Jamison Williams moved to the non-football injury list today. Of course, the college injury would count as that, even though it was a football injury where he tore his ACL. Um from that wide receiver to another very good one in Brew McCoy, who is not eligible to play for the Tennessee Volunteers, at least not yet. Trey Wallace had the story over the weekend at Outkick.com uh, where USC provided official comment to Trey and Outkick about this saga between Brew McCoy and whether or not he's going to be granted eligibility to transfer and play for the University of Tennessee. The quote from USC, from the school to OutKick, USC has consistently with NCAA rules promptly and accurately responded to all requests from the University of Tennessee related to the eligibility of Brew McCoy. At no point since Brew entered the transfer portal in January have we objected to him being made immediately eligible to play at Tennessee. The issue of Brew's eligibility ultimately rests with the NCAA and we wish him the very best. So... Last week, we were discussing with Trey, Chad, about wh wh is this an NCAA issue or a USC issue? USC is saying it's an NCAA issue, where I think the feedback we've received is this is a discrepancy between the player and the university, not the NCAA and the transfer. So this is, this is a case of USC giving you an incomplete truth. This is like an incomplete assignment report card that they're giving you. You laid out the statement that they gave. They first gave Trey Wallace of OutKick 
and great reporting by Trey on that story. Then they later issued another statement about this is what we're doing right now and this is what we've done. We haven't hindered Brew in any way. Well, the fact is they have hindered him because they could, and this is another guest of ours, Austin Price, has reported, they could file a waiver. There's a piece of paperwork they could essentially sign. A no-participation opportunity form. There you go. And this would be over. And they have not done that. They've just let it out. Hey, we're not stopping him. We're also not going to sign that piece of paperwork that'll get him eligible immediately. But we're not stopping him. We'll let the NCAA decide on this transfer. I think it is incredibly dumb of USC to play this game considering yeah. the hypocrisy of a program that hired a coach away from Oklahoma, took their future and their star quarterback in Caleb Williams, took Jordan Addison from Pitt. We can go on down the list. Now, there's a history of players going from USC to Tennessee. Whatever. Just sign the paperwork. When a guy doesn't want to be at your place anymore, Lincoln Riley never coached Brew McCoy. There's no attachment to Brew McCoy with him. Well, Chad, help me with this, though. Get your university to sign off on so, it. So this is not about... This doesn't seem it's it's not about USC and Tennessee. This is about USC and Brew McCoy. So what has McCoy done that is a, not allowing the Trojan Athletic Program to either file this form or grant some access through the NCAA where the NCAA rules and allows him to be immediately eligible? That's the other part of this. Tennessee and USC in conjunction could file something with the NCAA and then you'd have some ruling on this. See, I just don't even care. I think where we are right now in college athletics, it just does not do anything for you but we don't to play see, this game and not just I, help the I, guy I go somewhere else. And I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I, they, I wish they'd sign off on it and let the guy play because everyone's playing. But in an era where everyone's playing immediately, they're not letting him do that. So I'm trying to figure out why they're not letting him do that. There was some campus incident I, I'm not privy to that he was never charged for a crime on, right. but there was some holdup with like campus judicial committee at USC. Now, so how, nothing to do with the football program. If you're not charged for a crime, if there's some right. dust up on campus, whatever, I don't know how that would affect his playing and school eligibility at another institution. That's why I'm confused why USC won't just sign the paperwork needed to let him play. But here's the other thing. I just don't care. I would say the same about any program, any school, when a guy wants to leave – it's not going to do you any good in the long run not to just help them get out of there and move on because you're going to take someone else from another program. So This is the way the game is played now. You let them go, let them play somewhere else. I don't think USC is being completely honest with all this. I think it makes them look bad. Brent Hubbs told us on Friday this is not a Lincoln-Riley issue, a football issue. It's a university issue. Here's my response to that. It is absolutely a Lincoln-Riley issue. He is USC. He is the most prominent face of USC. I don't want to hear that Lincoln Riley is some powerless little weakling that the big bad university is holding back the paperwork on Brew McCoy and Lincoln Riley can't do anything about it. That is BS. This is a Lincoln Riley problem now. Tennessee needs to get more aggressive with things like this and put the pressure. Tennessee fans will do it. On Twitter all day. That's why USC's releasing statements. So because they're getting beaten over the head by Tennessee fans about it. The whole McCoy saga is back in 2019 with USC. So he originally is going to USC. Correct me if I'm wrong here. He then decides that he is going to transfer to Texas 
after then Trojans offensive coordinator Cliff Kingsbury took the Arizona Cardinals job. So Kingsbury's out. He's now in year one. Brew McCoy goes to Texas. He went through spring practice and then decided he made the wrong decision and went back to USC. Yep. Didn't play in 2020. I'm thinking I'm getting the the correct... um, Or he didn't play in 2019. He did play in 2020. And of course, we, we know he's now transferring in 2022 to Tennessee. So there's been this back and forth there on top of whatever's going on behind the scenes. It's just a... It's a mess that doesn't seem like it needs to be one. And and the fact we can't get a clear answer on it where, from Tennessee's perspective, even if they're not pressing the issue publicly, behind the scenes, we know they are. Heupel's been asked about Heupel says he's done everything in his power to that he can do in order for eligibility to be granted to McCoy. It's important to them because McCoy, Hubs told us this on Friday, he's a starter. He's, a, he's he's starting in this offense in week one next Thursday night. Yeah, it's it's Cedric Tillman, it's him, and it's Jalen Hyatt. But I've got to think, like, the that's fact a, that that's we don't a really have, good uh, trio of receivers talent-wise if you can pull that off. Tennessee, he's got to be eligible. But Tennessee has some solid reporters. We, we have two of them on weekly with, with Austin and with Brent. Trey does a tremendous job as well at OutKick where they're trying to find out exactly the root of this. But the fact we don't have a concise, in black and white, on paper, written on the site, here's why he's not eligible. That, to me, tells me that there's some weird stuff behind the scenes politically. Politically meaning, like, there's somebody who doesn't want him to have the right to leave, even though in this era, everybody has the right to leave and play immediately. That's what's weird about it, Chad. Well, either he's... And I just want to know the, the what what possibly could have happened behind the scenes... Where if they want him out or they don't want him eligible to play at USC, what difference does it make if he leaves and plays at Tennessee? I mean, he'd have to be in prison to have something like that. Right. This, again, this, I just keep coming back to it. They didn't charge him with any crimes. If you're telling me that he committed some awful crime and needs to serve time for it, then the legal system should carry that out. If he is academically eligible, which apparently he's academically eligible. Yeah. He was at USC. He is now at Tennessee. I just don't understand why they would hold this up. And here's the other part of this. Does anyone really believe the NCAA is going to figure this out no. before next Thursday? No, the easiest route is to have this form I was skeptical signed. the entire time. When I saw Brew McCoy on the, at the start of, spring, uh, of fall practice three weeks ago, when he was not yet cleared, I'm thinking, he's not going to be cleared until probably midseason. Yeah. Because this is how the NCAA operates. And if he's not eligible to play right away, Lynn J. Dixon just went from Clemson to West Virginia, to Knoxville in one offseason, spent 14 days with Tennessee, and is now leaving for another program. He was eligible all along the way, immediately. And he's going to be eligible wherever he goes next. When I first heard that Brew McCoy, there was any question of his eligibility, my first thought was, regardless of what Tennessee reporters were saying about the university's confidence and everything else, I'm thinking, no way. No way this guy suits up against Ball State to open the season. Also and consider, I'm still believing that. I mean, Tennessee should get skip-the-line privilege here from the NCAA because they're the poster child for how you handle an internal investigation. The NCAA said that about how they investigated their former head coach, Jeremy Pruitt. Based on their cooperation alone and their patience with this and the money spent 
Granted, they're not having to spend the buyout money, but the money spent and the statement from these, they should get skip the line privilege to where they're front of the line. We're ruling on this immediately before the season starts. If in fact, everything's been filed with them to where they can act on it instead or, of just, you know, wait your turn. Or we go back to the source and USC just signs this paperwork to get it done because USC knows exactly what they're doing when they kick this over to the NCAA. They know that yeah. he's not getting eligible quickly. So this is doing something to hurt the kid. And I don't know why you do that. If the guy's not in jail, what is the point? Chad, rookie of the year odds. We're going to get to that coming up. And we will also preview the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. One of these two teams will be good. Not great, but good. The other team... Well, it seems as though they're in line for a top pick in next year's draft, but there have been teams that look bad on paper that end up shocking us all. We'll preview the 49ers and the Seahawks. Plus, we'll discuss the odds of offensive and defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. That's next to Kick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Oh, kick 360 rolls on. Chad, the odds are out for the rookie of the year in the NFL? They are indeed. This uh, according to BetMGM. And uh, the top two odds, best odds to win NFL rookie of the year. All right, I have not seen these. Um, if you give me top two, Kenny Pickett is up there in the top two for me. Uh, making the odds. Kenny Pickett's teammate is ahead of him. Really? George Pickens. George Pickens yeah. is plus 850. Kenny That's, Pickett plus 900. So those are the top two? Those are the top two. Okay. Both the same team. So what they're saying is even if it's even if it's Trubisky that plays and Pickett doesn't win the job, 
that it's the rookie receiver who's going to benefit most. But if, I mean, Vince Young won rookie of the year and he played half the amount of games, right? Like it was, but when he, when he came in, all of a sudden he took a team that was 0-6 with Kerry Collins and they went on a tear to finish 8-8 eight and eight, uh, here in Nashville. And VY won rookie of the year in 2006. Um, so Pickett would be along those same lines where he doesn't have to start the season to win the award. Although I think it's more likely that it comes from a different team in a different position. I would look towards running back personally. Where do they have? So uh, that's funny you bring that up uh, because third on the list is running back Brees Hall okay. with the Jets. Brees Hall is going to be who heavily was involved. A third round pick, I think. Brees Hall. Yes. Yeah, th- that sounds right. Um, so it's uh, second or third, right? Um, yeah. Brees Hall is getting heavy, um, heavy usage with the Jets' offense. Where is Kenneth Walker in Seattle? Not on this list. See, that, I only have there the top, is an outside. I have the top sleeper. six. There's an outside sleeper. The next three on the list, by the way, all wide receivers: Chris Olave in New Orleans, coming from Ohio State; Sky Moore with the Chiefs, who you've discussed some, and our guy Arthur Smith's top receiver in Atlanta, Drake, Drake London, London, who survived an injury scare. Sky Moore. There's right not now. a huge difference, by the way, from Pickens, the best odds to London. It's plus eight fifty to plus twelve hundred. Between those six guys. So Pickett right now is plus 900. Brees Hall plus 1,000. Alave plus 1,000. Sky Moore plus 1,000. Drake London plus 1,200. That's one through six on the list. Right now, I think I would lean Alave of that group. Um, Brees Hall second of the six we're discussing, not the full list. Kenneth Walker is, uh, to me, great value in Seattle. And we'll get to the team previews in a moment. But Chad, the, the, the whole Pickett... Pickens thing is interesting. I pick uh, Pickett has the the odds on chance because that's how we tend to vote. We being the the media, the fans, we we tend to look quarterback first. And if Pickett somehow you know energizes that Steelers team, who was a playoff team, believe it or not, a year ago, we forget that, but becomes the first round caliber quarterback in year one, he's going to win the award uh, ahead of Pickens, who's only going to touch the football every now and then compared to what Pickett would be doing with an opportunity to win it. Um, although, George Pickens embodies the Steelers' mentality with the the aggressive nature and kind of the the swagger that he brings. It's perfect in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that, that just jumped out to me, just having two guys on the yeah. same team. Yeah. We want to talk about just revamping your franchise in one offseason, the chance that Pickens and Pickett, or Pickett and Pickens, whichever way you want to go with it, that they make something happen in Pittsburgh, Pickens, Pickett, and Pittsburgh. I just that's difficult to say, but it may not be difficult to watch if these things work out. And you know, I try not to weigh too much into preseason performance, but defensively, I know this is only the offensive award. Defensively, it looks like Hutchinson's the guy. The odds-on favorite there, based on what I've seen in Detroit from him. Speaking of odds-on favorite, the odds-on favorite right now to win NFL Coach of the Year is Dan Campbell in Detroit. And I think that the hard knocks exposure is a big part of that because that line has moved quite a bit since well, see, the show started. So then, then so this is similar to the quarterback thing. If you have a coach who takes a franchise that's been down yeah. and they win seven or eight games, where does that measure up with the – 
the, the team, the, the greatness, the, the coach that takes a team to the number one seed that hasn't been there yet. According to BetMGM, nowhere because all of the odds are in the favor of guys trying to, well, with, with one exception, Dan Campbell's got the best odds. Brandon Staley is second, so that's a guy yeah. trying to take the Chargers to the next right. step. Outside of that, it's Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota, Brian Dayball with the Giants, Nathaniel Hackett with Denver, who's got a big boost coming with Russell Wilson, and then Doug Peterson in Jacksonville. But once once the season starts, then all of a sudden you see Belichick, Vrabel, Andy Reid, because they start stacking wins. Cliff Kingsbury at one point last year, they were 7-0, and right? You start stacking wins, and all of a sudden you're the greatest coach in the league. Um I wouldn't take any of those guys on those odds. I would try to I would bet down. I would bet to more of the teams that are going to be playoff eligible. I think it's good to take the long shot bet now if you're doing that. I, just from a practical standpoint, give it 2 weeks. Don't overreact to the first week, but after 2 weeks, you're probably going to get some odds in your favor yeah. if you're good at predicting what you think's going to happen with those races as the year goes on. We'll have to check out the DraftKings uh the odds there later this week. Um, hey, quickly, um, yep. we, you can always interact with the show on Twitter at Outkick360, uh, at uh, the Chad Withrow, at Hutton Outkick. Also, we heard from a viewer in Australia who watches our nice. show who said that he was loving the conversation about youth sports coaching. So I, I took my shot here, Hutton. You know, you got you to take shots at times in life. Okay. I said, <laughs> it's great to hear from someone sex location. from down under. <laughs> I said, <laughs> sorry, uh, that ties to the conversation. I, I, heard we had last, a, I heard it was a man from Australia, week. so I immediately responded and said, What are you wearing? ASL? No. Um, I, I responded and said, Great to hear from a fan from down under. Always wanted to ask someone from Australia this your thoughts on Outback Steakhouse. Oh. I've always been curious about Blue what the, the actual Australian people think yeah. about the American version of what Australian food is like. And uh, Tommy responds and says, love the Outback Steakhouse, mate. My boy works in a sports bar down here called Sporting Globe, so always eating out somewhere. They follow the Ravens and the Orioles from down in Australia. They're Ravens-Orioles fans, but now uh, in Australia. So I, uh, loves Outback Steakhouse. I was cleaning out the closet this weekend and flipping through channels on the TV in the bedroom and found Crocodile Dundee, too. And... Uh, Watch the the great finish to that to that wonderful film, Crocodile Dundee Two. Um, I'm trying to think. It does. Is, That's when they're back in the bush. Yeah, with the Aborigines. Because the original is great because it's got the. It's basically in three parts, right? They yeah. have the the where they start in the bush, then they go to New York City, and then I think the movie ends. That's back in Australia. That's Crocodile Dundee Two. That's the second one. Yes. Okay. With the, the original is a classic where they switch take your pants off scene. That's Crocodile Dundee Two. Oh, okay. <laughs> I need to go back and look. I've gone back on the first blood, and I'm yeah. now halfway through first blood part two. So I need to go back into the crocodile Dundee's next. What was her name? Linda. Oh, she's got a uh, uh, Kostrinsky. I want to say it's like Ted Kaczynski, yeah, like the Unabomber. Yeah, you're right. Kostrinsky. I think they're still together. Her and Paul Hogan. Paul Hogan, who is alive and is probably <laughs> in his 80s. Last time I saw Paul Hogan, he was in... Um, he was in Crocodile Dundee 2. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what it was. He was in uh, Along Came Polly with Ben Stiller oh, really? and Jennifer I Aniston. I forgot about that. And he's like an old billionaire who takes all these chances. And Ben Stiller's character is a risk analysis guy. 
So he's yeah. like an actuary, right, for, yeah. a, for an insurance company. And they're trying to put life insurance in this guy who's like base jumping, and he's in his 70s, and the actor, it's played by Paul Hogan, this character. I'll have to look back. And I'm going to be amazed now. if I look back and I completely made all this up, and that's not true at all. But I've got quite the imagination, if so. We, we round out the NFC West with our look at the San Francisco 49ers. They add Charvarius Ward. Linda Kozlowski. There, there it is. Sorry, I had to find it. Charvarius Ward. Uh, shout out Blue Raiders. Drake Jackson, uh, they add him in the draft. Also, they're losing some uh, starting talent on the offensive line. Lakin Tomlinson's gone. Tom Compton is one of their guards. Arden Key and DJ Jones are also off the roster. And Jimmy Garoppolo remains a 49er for now. He His salary is fully guaranteed around, I believe, September 10th, Saturday, September 10th. So they're going to make a move either by trade or they're going to release this guy. Uh, by the time things roll around, because they they haven't used him at all this preseason. They've had some agreement where he's not practicing with them. It's all been turned over to Trey Lance, who has been very good, to the point where when Patrick Mahomes is out playing into the second quarter this past week, on the road in Minnesota, so it's not weather-related, because you have the, the climate-free uh, dome where they're playing in Minnesota, they elect not to play Trey Lance in the preseason game. I take that as a great sign for 49ers fans. And the fact that Shanahan, we all trust Shanahan, thinks that his quarterback, Trey Lance, is ready to go. George Kittle um, is, uh, to me, the top guy in the league at the position. He's paid that way. If it's, it's him or Kelsey, but they mean the exact same to their offense. And now you have the pieces in place and you have the guys happy because of other Debo Samuel gets his contract extension. They have Nick Bosa on the opposite side who is going to be on a tear for a big money break the bank top level contract that we've never seen before for a non-quarterback whenever he signs next offseason. Point being Chad, they're in a good position. And if they survive the injury woes which have bugged this team and plagued this team over the recent seasons, early in the season, they're in contention for one of these playoff spots, one of the seven playoff spots whenever December rolls around. Remember that whole weird interaction with Javon Kinlaw and the, the reporter? Yeah. On the one thing, yeah. I, I, was, I was looking through the, their defense before the show, and I immediately thought about that when I saw his name. Uh, Debo Samuel is the only player in NFL history to have 1,200 receiving yards and over 300 rushing yards in a season, which is remarkable. Brandon Ayuk was in the doghouse as a first-round pick. And he had a great final eight games of the season last year. Elijah Mitchell. He's back and healthy. He hit it as a, as a rookie with the 49ers. Defensively, I, I don't see much of a drop-off with this group that was third in the league this past year. I mean, this is – we're going to get into another team here where obviously the huge, not just a question mark, but a gaping hole resides in the quarterback position. It's all about Trey Lance. This, is, this, this whole organization is all about the decision – to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, to not accept good for the chance at great. And we don't know that Trey Lance is even good right now. He may be far worse than Jimmy Garoppolo when he starts playing, but that's the risk that Kyle Shanahan was willing to take, yep. was to get rid of good, to chase great. And we start to find out here in a couple weeks if they can be truly great with Trey Lance. That To me, that that's it for this 49ers team and what their franchise is going to look like in the next few years. You can't just judge on paper wins and losses in the NFL. Things happen week to week. Injuries occur. Players get nicked and bruised, and they miss a series or something that ends up playing a significant factor in the game. 
But for Trey Lance to open the season on the road, they're playing at Chicago. They will then host the Seahawks. Those are the first two games out of the shoot. It's not like they're facing the Cowboys and the Rams from the NFC or you know Green Bay and and LA um, right out of the right out of the gate here. I, I like the way the schedule sets up because they have the Bears, Seahawks, and Broncos before they will even face the Rams. And after that, they face the Panthers. I mean, it's a very manageable schedule for a young quarterback. And I, I think Debo Samuel, while he, he may not reset the same numbers he had a year ago in rushing and, and receiving, I think that's a great sign because he was only breaking that record because they were so banged up in the backfield a year ago. They moved him there out of necessity, and it worked out great. I think they'll use him some there, maybe not nearly as much. They get him involved more in the passing game and his extension of the run game. At least that's how I see things going for Debo Samuel. And I I like what I've seen from Trey Lance and the limited scope that we've been able to view him from. Two starts last year and uh, one preseason start this year where he went on a long scoring drive, including a 73-yard bomb. So he he looks on point. This has been his team, not just since camp started, but since the offseason started because they didn't have... Garoppolo around on purpose. They've turned things over to him. And I think it's so far, you know, it, it's a, a lot of this is due to Kyle Shanahan being there. So far, things are pointing in the right direction for the 49ers in that division to be a playoff contender. The same cannot be said for the Seattle Seahawks. They trade Russell Wilson, one of the top five trades in NFL history. If you start to think back on all the top trades team to team, Russell Wilson going to Denver and out of Seattle for a team that was 7-10 and 10 and replaced by Drew Locke. They get him in return. Um, Charles Cross is a necessity. Their offensive line was atrocious a year ago. He's a huge help at offensive tackle. But they lose Bobby Wagner, key leadership. DJ Reed, Dwayne Brown's no longer there. He's now a New York Jet. Chad, this, this has been a team all offseason that's been rumored to be the next in line to land either via trade a quarterback or draft one that's going to matter. They didn't do either. And it looks as though with Pete Carroll back, they're in a rebuild mode looking for the next quarterback of the future. It's not currently on the roster right now. I mean, name an interesting player on this roster outside of DK Metcalf. I mean, this is just full rebuild mode. They can admit it or not. Try Lockett. I would put Lockett on yeah. that. Lockett's phenomenal. I mean, it's just it's not worth spending a lot of time on this group because they're just completely uninteresting and not going to be very good. And it's a team that's in line. I love the Charles Cross pick out of Mississippi State. I'm with you on that. That's a nice building block for the future. But they got to go find a quarterback this next offseason. They they know it. Uh, They don't have one right now. It's going to be a really bad team that's going to have a high draft pick. Yeah, uh, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and because I'm mentioning him for Rookie of the Year, Kenneth Walker. Is interesting. He will there become a storyline. That's line. a good one. Yep. He'll become a storyline. But it's not a team that you're watching for the storylines, right? You're watching this team to see whether or not they end up with the first or second pick. Hutton, because that will be the quarterback discussion. Nothing about the Seahawks is as interesting as House of the Dragon. That, that right we can guarantee. That House of the Dragon, guarantee. the most watched show in the history of HBO. We discuss episode one next on Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The highest rated premiere in HBO history, House of the Dragon, debuted on Sunday. Chad, how many people watch this show? 10 million. It's like 9.98-something million viewers for the premiere of House of Dragon. I DVR'd and watched it last night. To put that into context, by the way, just numbers-wise, before we get into our thoughts on the show, the series premiere of Game of Thrones, which is a big deal at the time and a big budget-type deal for HBO to secure the rights from George R.R. Martin, but also what they put into the show, 4.2 million viewers in 2011. So that's more than double for House of the Dragon. Now, it's unfair to compare the two because it's the success of, of Game it, of Thrones right, that and what it this. became that fueled the, the start of so this show. I, like, for instance, I did not pick up on Game of Thrones until season... It was already... They were about to begin season four when I binged to catch up and then followed it weekly. This was... This has been on the radar for a while, right? Like the anticipation for this and whether or not... They would be able to follow up with different ca- a different cast, um, vastly different storyline because you're going back in time 172 years yep. to tell the, the setup story, the prequel of what we just saw over the course of, was it seven or eight seasons? Eight, eight. seasons. Um, so I thought that would be very difficult. I thought they pulled it off, though, in episode one, Chad, because um, while it did take me a while to get used to seeing the new faces and knowing, like, okay, I'm supposed to believe that this person is this, you know, trying to, like, grasp the, the storyline of the family lineage. Aside from that, and I thought they did a pretty good job to start on trying to set up the backstory or the first story of how they became who they are. Aside from that, I thought they did some things throughout the episode that are very Game of Thrones-ish. And it, which, for instance, the, uh, the birthing scene. That, so... That in and of itself is very disturbing, okay? I fast-forwarded through it's that. It's very disturbing, but that's on brand with the entire series of Game of Thrones. And once you've seen it all and you expect everybody to die, spoiler alert, Game of Thrones, they kill off a bunch of main characters, you're kind of like, there's what can you do to surprise me now? You've got to go back and start towing the line on things that are very uncomfortable to watch. And that's one of them. That, so as that's happened, I'm thinking, okay, this is how they're going to like twist the knife in, in the side and say, okay, this is how we're going to engage you in something you haven't seen before, but we're willing to go there. When that rating screen pops up to start an episode on HBO or anywhere, and it reads like a novel of all the things to watch out for, uh, you know, nudity. Strong sexual content, violence, gore, uh, adult language. That's right. the way that it popped up. End of the world On content. the first yeah. episode, right. and I'm thinking, okay, they're, they're definitely going to be very Game of Thrones with this. I mean, you mentioned one disturbing scene, which we didn't even mention that a man was castrated also in this episode. No, but that's, but that's, on camera, but it's, it's very Game of Thrones-like. Right. Um, the exposition of it bothered some. Jacob Swanson and our staff won. He said, I thought they just went out of their way to, this is a Game of Thrones for dummy dummies type show yeah here's what you need to watch here are the main characters here's how we're laying out the season and i agree but it didn't make it any less enjoyable and i understand why they're doing that because they don't want to turn off someone who hasn't seen game of thrones 
that just wants to watch an entertaining show to where you get that opening title sequence, title card sequence that tells you exactly what time you're in and how it relates to Game of Thrones. But the way they explain it, it's not going to turn off someone who doesn't read George R.R. Martin's fantasy fiction or isn't into the first series. So I thought it was very smart of HBO the way they did it. I thought the acting was good. The characters were pretty compelling. It's, it's very clear how it's set up. There's going to be twists along the way. I'm assuming that's going to surprise everyone. No huge surprises in episode one. No. But very solid, very entertaining. So Came out of the gate swinging. I thought they delivered in what you need let, to in a pilot episode. Let me be overly critical for a show I'm going to continue to watch. Okay. okay. Um, they were way over the top in telling us, be on the lookout for this storyline as the first season continues without telling us. Yeah, the exposition. They were, they, right. were, they were laying everything out very obviously. But throughout the entire episode, like, this is a big moment you need to pay attention to. Without having that blinking sign on the screen, it was obvious where I thought Game of Thrones was much more subtle with that. Number two, the, character, the characters itself from the first episode of Game of Thrones... You see Peter Dinklage and you see Lena Headley and all the... There are very uh, engaging characters that you want to lo- learn more about. Everybody in this show to me so far looks exactly the same. And it's because they're all from the Targaryen <laughs> family. But like, there, there's no differentiating who's well, who really other than the guy that wants to sit on the throne who's not there. But really, that's all we kind of know to this point. After episode one, as boring as episode one was of the entire series of Game of Thrones, you wanted to see the character development because of how they set up that scene where they ride into Winterfell with the king and you have Ned Stark and you have uh, Tyrion Lannister. You have couple, everyone there. Couple Sansa big, is yeah. there. They don't, there wasn't enough of that for me in this. A couple of big things before we run out of time. Uh, there's a black character. That's interesting to me in the first episode, which which was different. Olivia Cook's a big time actress, did not appear in the premiere and is going to be a big part of the show. Okay. To my knowledge, she was not in it at so, all. Yeah, she is a brunette. Uh, but she is going to be the, she's gonna play an older version of a character we've seen. Yes, more than likely. But that so she's not in it yet. The one mysterious character to me was uh the guy that was in the uh the jousting that was the all the girls were crushing on. Yeah. That we really don't know much about that you saw that's going to become a bigger character also. Again, I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was solid. It was very easy to comprehend for those that have not seen Game of Thrones. I was stunned. And 10 million viewers. I was stunned at the viewership. I was too. 10 million. And they did a lot of build-up trying to get you to binge it because they were playing it weekend after weekend. You forget episodic shows that are appointment watching can still get numbers like that on HBO because everybody binges everything whenever they want. 10 million. Hey, we're back at it tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Central, for Outkick 360. Hope you'll join us across the Outkick Network and at Outkick.com.